Okay, this is going to be the uh, children's. Actually, it's it's the whole thing, uh, pretty much. We'll try and sing. If we lose concentration, we'll sing a song in the middle of it. Right, boys and girls, this is your bit. I want you to really be nice and awake. Everybody there, let's have a wave at, wave at the boys and girls. Any boys and girls here? Anybody awake? Possibly. Yeah, okay. Good, good, good. Right, we're going to look at the Mishkan this morning. Mishkan, do you know what a Mishkan is? Let's find out what a Mishkan is. Right, here's some words, and I want you to know what they mean. And they all sound about the same. So there's barnacle, rugby tackle, barnacle, rugby tackle, carbuncle, we've got a cool at the end of them, tabernacle. Okay, so there's, now then, so those are the words and the meanings. So one of them is a shellfish. One of them is a cluster of infected spots. One of them is part of a ball game. And one of them is a tent where God meets people. Okay, shall we work out which one's which? So the barnacle, which one of that is one, two, three, or four? The barnacle, what do you think? You think it's one. Okay, what did you think? Barnacle. Hang on, hang on, barnacle. What do you think? Hmm? Barnacle is A. Yeah, is it a shellfish or a cluster of embedded spots or part of a ball game or where God meets people? One. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <coughs> Rugby tackle. So is that a shellfish, a cluster of embedded spots, part of a ball game or where God meets people? I always go for you because you put your hand up first. But let's, anybody upstairs? Rugby tackle. Is it... Shellfish, cluster infected spots, part of a ball game. Number three, part of a ball game. Who says number three? Okay, yeah, that's right. Carbuncle, carbuncle. You know what carbuncle is? Yeah, some really horrible pictures on, if you Google that, if your mum and dad let you Google it, you get some really horrible pictures of a carbuncle, yeah. So which leaves tabernacle as being number what? Number four, a place where God meets people. It's a funny word. I always think tabernacle sounds like some medical problem, but actually it just means, in, in Hebrew it's mishkan, in, in, Hebrew, in Greek it's skinny, I think. It just means tent. I don't know why they don't write tent, but anyway, they use this funny word tabernacle. It's the tent. And we're going to look at the history through the Bible from beginning to end of the place where God meets people. It was a tent where God uh, lived and people came to visit God in his house and that was the tent where he lived in. And that's what we're going to look at. So we'll just go through this this morning from beginning to end. That's pretty much all we're going to do. The Hebrews is talking about the, the tabernacle and we'll sort of, we're really just sort of creeping up on this subject this morning rather than uh, doing the text directly. Okay, so this is uh, the tabernacle is the tent and that was where God met people. And later on, it turned into the temple, which was the same sort of thing, only not made out of cloth. So, first place where God meets people. Okay, boys and girls, here we go. First place where God meets people is a garden. There's a garden. And it was a place. Does anybody know the name of the place where the garden was? It was in the mountain region of Eden. Yeah, well done. And it had some people in it, because this is 
when, when God meets people, it's a place with people. Who are the people? Anybody know the names of the people? Up at the top, Gracie. Does Gracie know? Adam and Eve. Yeah, that's right. There they are. There's Adam and Eve people. And they had, uh, they lived under God's word. They lived under God's blessing that God had a word, a particular thing that he said to them to do. Now, this is a bit more difficult, so you might need help from an adult near you. What what was the particular word uh, or thing that God said in the garden? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And what about the other trees? Yeah, okay. You could eat all the trees except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't touch that one. That was the, that was the sort of word over the top of it. That was a good answer. I think that's what deserve it. Um, And uh, there's something about walking. Again, this is a bit of a difficult one. Does anybody know the reference to walking in the garden? Walking. It's nice to walk in a garden. Okay, adult, adults. Rosie? Yeah, and the walking bit? No, you're right. I found, I, I, there, was, there was one sentence that says walking. God was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. Yes, they had the voice of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. There's a, a walking word in there. And it just tells us, boys and girls, that right at the beginning, he liked to be with people. He liked to meet with his people. He had a nice garden, and the Lord was there and walked amongst his people. And that's the sort of thing God liked to do which I find pretty amazing because um, he's very different to us. He's holy, we're sinful, and we get, make lots of mistakes and we do lots of things wrong. And I would be surprised, wouldn't be surprised if God said, I don't particularly like those sorts of people. But God likes people and he liked to walk with his people in the garden. Okay, so that was the garden. Did everything, no, this is a silly question really, did everything go right in the garden? Good answer, yeah, no, I give a round of applause for that, yeah, yeah, it didn't didn't go right. Um, So things became much more complicated for meeting God uh, as, as we go through the Bible. So here is the tent or the tabernacle. I think I pressed blank. Um, so that, that's the picture there of it. Uh, we'll do more about the details another time, but that, that's roughly speaking the tent. And who? So this is a, no, think about this. Who? Um, tent. Who was it in the Bible who gave the instructions for the tent? It's a very famous person. No, don't say God because I'm. Who was it? Moses. Yeah, Moses. Okay, well done. Came by Moses. And 
the place. So the place. Where, where did they have the tent? To begin with, at least. Do you know where they had the tent? Because I'll give you a clue. They went from one place where they didn't like it to another place which was lovely, and the tent is part of that. So I'm looking for place. Oh, I've stumped everybody. Well, what I was thinking of was that the place was in the desert, actually, because they left Egypt and went to the Promised Land and they went across the desert. So they were on a journey and they couldn't build a house. They had to have something that would move with them as they moved along, and God moved with them. And who were the people in this case? It wasn't Adam and Eve, was it? Who were the people that met God in the tent? Yeah, Israel. There's some people. I've got clothes on this time. Uh, uh, yeah, Israel. So this was the nation, the, the, the people of Israel met God in the tent. And was there any particular word that, or words, that ended them? Desert, and as they were God's people, any particular word or words? Moses. Moses and the lost ark. Okay, my wife's going to do this one. Yeah, there were ten words, the ten commandments, and that that sort of uh, there was a whole lot of said. But one focus of it was the Ten Commandments. Yeah, ten, ten words. And where were they walking to? There was a walking, so they were travelling. Where were they walking to? I gave it away before. Where were they walking to? You guys, any suggestions? No? no? Yeah? The Promised Land, yes. So they're walking from the place of slavery to the land of, uh, of milk and honey, the promised land, the land that's got and mm, milk and honey. They're walking to the promised land, and they're like us, because we are on a journey in this world to go and be with God in heaven. And God walked with them through that journey as he walks with us. One of the things about this is it's got a wall and it's got um, various uh, yeah, walls that you walk through and doors that you have to go through and there's a compartment in there that hardly anybody ever gets into. So there's walls and barriers. So here's a... Barriers, the garden didn't have walls and barriers, but this tent does. The Ark of the Covenant was in the area, that's right. The Ark of the Covenant was right inside there. That was the bit was like God's throne. And it had two, two cherubim. And I don't know quite what they looked like, but they had wings. And maybe they had one set of wings like that, set of wings like that. And God's throne was, uh, he was enthroned on the cherubim. But the, the walls and barriers, so right on the inside we've got the Ark of the Covenant. So let's just tease this out a little bit. Why were there, why... Why is it not like a garden where you can just walk straight up to things in a garden? Yeah, that's a good answer. Yes, it, there's something very special. Yeah, you've got a round of applause for that. Um, it's right in the very heart of this tent. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. 
This last bit of the tent is a cubic. So this bit is long, long and thin, as it were, but the, the, the bit right at the bit at the end is cubic. And that's the bit where God is, a sort of perfect cube. And it's difficult to get there. And if you get go there wrongly, it's deadly because it's really hard for sinners to approach God because God is so different from us. And if you approach God unprotected, it's like it's like uh, going into a nuclear power station or something. You get frazzled up unless you've got protective clothing. Or have any of you got anywhere near you a an electric power station? Sometimes they, they're just that sort of maybe that sort of size, and it says on the wall, electric power, don't go in there, otherwise you'll be frazzled to pieces. Have you got, have you got one near you? You've got one near the train station. And it was like that, that if we try to get near God without protection, we get frazzled up. But God still wants to be with people, but there are these walls and barriers, and there is something here called an altar, if you're on your way to meet God, you go past this altar. Uh, boys and girls, tell us what happens on an altar. What happens on an altar? Yeah? You kill an animal. Absolutely right. You sacrifice it. Yeah, okay, that one's a good one. Yeah. So, in order to get near God, it isn't that you just go up to God and rock up to God. You have to go through a process and in the tabernacle, it's very clearly spelt out that an animal has to die. Somebody has to die. And instead of us getting frazzled up, the, the animal gets frazzled up. It gets killed. And it's shown that it's killed because its blood is sort of splashed in different places. So actually somebody has died. And somebody has died or something has died instead of the person who wanted to come close. Um, and that... And here is, oh yeah, this one here. Anybody recognize that guy there? Anybody tell us who that is? Yes? He's the priest. He's the priest. And this is the chap who does, who works all the sacrifices. He knows what to do with the animals, how to slice them up, what to do with the that sort of thing. And he is the assistant to help these people come near to God there and that's what the priest does. He, gets, he brings them close. He does the work to bring people close. Okay, I think that's about it. This is, it says in Exodus 29.44, uh, let's just see what it does say in Exodus 29.44. I better read it. You can look it up if you can get there before me. Exodus 29.44 uh, says, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among, among them. I am the Lord their God. I'll just read that last bit again. I brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I think that's fantastic that God says, I've taken these rubbish Egypt and I've brought them, I've, I've ordered this, con, this tent to be constructed and this altar and these priests so that I can live with them because I want to be with these people. And I think that's rather amazing, isn't it, that God would want to be with people like us. And here in the Old Testament there's this very way of doing it. But 
He wants, I brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. And here's a, um, a picture from uh, the Theopolis channel on YouTube. That's a rather a nice picture of the tabernacle, isn't it? You see it there in the desert? It makes it look really desertish, doesn't it? There's the temple. Oh, sorry. There's the altar. And there's the, uh, there's the walls. And that, that's the tabernacle. Okay, so let's go on because something else happened. There wasn't, wasn't always a tabernacle. It changed into something else. So click... There was a temple, a temple, just one temple. It's not like churches where you have churches in every town and city. You don't have temples in every town and city in, in, the, in the Bible. You have one temple, one place where God meets with people. Now, here's a question, boys and girls. This was not done by Moses. It was built by... Built by... The temple was built by David is half an answer. Uh, yeah, go on. You think it might be Solomon, and Solomon was David's son. And David planned it, but Solomon built it. So that's two halves of the correct answer. So a little round of applause for that. That's good. So that's my little picture of the temple. So this, this time it's a building. Uh, it's still got walls, and inside it's still got a cube for the holy place, and it's still got cherubim in there, and uh, it's a fantastic place. There's all gold all over the place. If you went in there, you'd think, wow, what a place. You really would. Um, just fantastic. So it's a place. Uh, just say, uh, oh, bother. I've unclicked something. Do you know which place it was in? This time, the place, it's, it's stuck in one place. Do you know which place it's in? The temple was where? Yep. Well done, in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's right. So that was the place. Of, yes, yes. That, that was the place where it was. And the people, so we, we who, which people was it? This is their temple. Which people? The Italians? Yes, well done. And this also had an altar. And uh, so this is the temple. And Isaiah 2 verse 1 talks about the vision for the temple. Any of the grown-ups know off by heart or can remember a bit of Isaiah 2 verse 1? I want to look it up and tell us what it says about the temple. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be Established, raised, or yeah, go on, yes. Shall we look it up? In Isaiah 2, verse 1 In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains, it will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. And there's a vision of the place where God lives in the last days. So meaning to say, I guess when the, the old covenant had transformed into something else, that in some way there would be a place where all 
the nations will flow. They'll all go to meet with God. And I think that's what's happening here. Because let's just see how many different nationalities have we got here. So um, how many people are bog standard English here this morning? Okay, got a few of us. Uh, how many people of Greek heritage? Yeah. How many people of German heritage? How many people of Italian heritage? Okay. Um, Ukrainian heritage? Yeah. Okay. You're not a Ukrainian. Um, I, I won't. I won't. Um, we're international here this morning, and this is part of the fulfilment of this: that all nations will flow to where God makes His home. And where God speaks, the idea of the temple. However, something happened to the temple. Did it all work out well for the temple? You can give the same answer as you did before. Did it all work out well for the temple? Good answer. No, it didn't. Yeah. Uh, it got, do you know what happened to the temple? Yeah. It got destroyed. It was awful. Just awful, because all the promises that God had made, like this about all the nations flowing to the temple, just seem to have gone wrong. And there's nothing worse for a spiritually-minded person to think, actually, this proves that God's gone wrong. And now God doesn't go wrong, but sometimes it looks as though he does. And you really have to have faith to trust that God knows what he was doing. And this was a real crisis of faith that the temple got destroyed. Now, God had a plan, and he said, I will, I'll still do what I've said I'm going to do, but the temple was destroyed, and people really had to think hard about that. What would you say? Samson destroyed temple. He did. It wasn't this temple. It was a pagan temple for a foreign god, and he got captured... And they did horrible things to him. They, they took his eyes out, didn't they? So he couldn't see. But he still trusted God right to the time when he died. And he said, even as I die, let me just be on your side and knock this temple down. And they put him near some pillars of the temple, didn't he? And he pulled it down and they all got squashed. And even in his death, he trusted in God. So that's the, that's the story you meant, isn't it? So there's, the, there's this temple, the Jerusalem temple, going up in smoke. So this is a place where God lived, but and that's a huge issue that, that God should move out. In Ezekiel, and that's a, a prophecy of Ezekiel, about this time, uh, the people moved, went to Babylon, and they were made prisoners there, and that was horrible. Ezekiel's prophecy begins with seeing God's throne sort of flying and moving. It was that God wasn't actually stuck in the temple, but his presence can go anywhere and even go to Babylon. Uh, and uh, that was a great encouragement to them. But what this shows is God destroyed the temple because, because of what? Now, that's a bit of a complicated question. Why did God not stay with the temple. What went wrong? He went with the temple because... Oh, well, I think I'll put the answer up there, actually. Yeah, because people weren't obeying his rule. They weren't living under his word. And God wants to be close to people. And when we're close to people, we want to please people. And 
God wanted the people to please him, but they kept on being rude to him, they kept on being obnoxious to him, they kept on sort of spitting on him, basically, and saying, we don't care, you've done all good things for us, but we don't care about that, we don't want to please you. And God, in the end, 400 years of this he put up with, he said, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to just, um, you can go, and I'll go as well. Um, but in the New Testament, we have another promise. For the New Testament people, he'll never leave us. I will never leave you nor forsake you, it says in, in the New Testament. For God's New Testament people, uh, yeah, we might feel distant from the Lord, um, um, might get distant from the Lord, but he says, if you're mine, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you to squirm. I, I, will, I will always be there for you. So that was uh, the temple. And um, the temple was rebuilt, and that was fantastic. They came back from, uh, from being imprisoned in Babylon, came back, and the temple was rebuilt. Whoops. Oh, let me try doing that again. Um, the silly thing won't click properly. Let's see what happens. Ah! Right, let's try this again. The temple was rebuilt. Did person in the New Testament, do we know, that went and visited the temple quite a few times? Somebody in the New Testament visited the temple a few times? Yeah? Correct, Jesus. That was a good answer. Yeah, Jesus went to the temple a number of times, didn't he? And got into arguments there and things like that. When he was little, his parents brought a sacrifice to the temple. But even when, it was, when the temple was rebuilt, it still wasn't right. God had made lots of promises for the temple. Uh, but it still wasn't right. The temple was rebuilt. But it still wasn't right. The people weren't right. The nations weren't coming in. Um, it, it, it still wasn't as it should be. So another change happens. And I want us to think of another place where God lives, where God comes down to be. And if you want to meet God, you can go there. And that is to say Jesus as the temple. So here's Jesus. Put a J there, person J, a human being, and yet we, we read that in Jesus, in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. So, so Jesus is the place where God lives. And in John 2 21, he said, Destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. So he's in the temple. And he says to the Jewish people, destroy this temple and I'll raise days. And they said, that's ridiculous. It's taken us 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to build it in three days. But the temple he spoke of was, was what? The temple he spoke of was what? He's God. Well done. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of all these things of, that we're thinking about, the place where God is, where place can God can be found. So people can come and meet God in the temple, and if they belong to Jesus, they sort of become a temple themselves. If 
Ephesians 2.21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And he says that people who belong to Jesus sort of form a temple. So as we're here, as a, a community of God's people, God is here, uh, not visibly, but um, th there's a sense in which God lives amongst the community of his people. And as we gather together, that's particularly, is particularly present in that sense. And he says we're being built up together. And that's been one of the, the awful things about being separated, that, we, that our relationships begin to get a bit frayed and distant. It's all about being built up together, knowing one another, praying for one another, caring about one another, helping one another. Um, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, we couldn't do that, could we? But it, it, it's expression, affection to one another. Um, I mean, I suppose in our culture we'd hug one another. But all these things about being built up together, that's all been put under pressure over these past uh, uh, months. So the temple is Jesus, and the temple in the sense is us. Okay, let's go one more step forward. So this is where we get... Hebrews. Just have a look at Hebrews 8, verse 1. Boys and girls, you're doing really well because this is quite a long children's talk, isn't it? Uh, Hebrews 8, verse 1. The point of what we are saying is this. This is the writer of the Hebrews. Says, this is exactly what we're trying to say. The point of what we are saying is this. We have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the holy place, the real tabernacle, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. So that's the whole point of what we're trying to say, that Jesus is operating in the heavenly place and he's operating in the real tabernacle, the real place where all this thing, these things happen, where God is. And... Uh, that's the bit we need to focus on a little bit more, isn't it, as we go through. So, that earthly tabernacle no longer does its stuff. And the same is true of the temple. It doesn't do what it says on the tin. What actually is the real thing is what Jesus does in heaven. And that's why, that's why, brothers and sisters, when we come into our building here, we don't have priests. And we don't have a fairly holy place and a slightly more holy place and a very holy place. That's why we don't have walls and petitions and barriers because we have access to God in heaven and we don't need to have this sort of stuff here because it's all outdated, it's all obsolete. We have the point of what we are saying, it says, this is the point of what we are saying, that we have a high priest in heaven who does all this stuff for us in heaven. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high. He hears our prayers. He sends us help. He saves us because we call upon him. And he's there to do this stuff for us. And isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Click. Whoops. Hebrews 9.9 9 says, It's an illustration for the present time. And all this stuff did was it showed that it didn't work. It showed that, this is an illustration of the present time, indicating the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper 
They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. And this is the real, we have the real thing. We have the real cleansing. We have the real blood. We have the real salvation. We have the real saviour. And that is the that's it, what it says. That's the point of what we're saying. That's the good thing for us this morning. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. Okay, forgive me getting excited about it. Jesus is where our hope and our help is. And the fact that he is there is a call to come to him. So maybe you are still at a distance from him, but the, the fact that he's there is a call to say, why don't you call on Jesus to be the saviour of your soul, the help of your life, your anchor, your rock, your salvation, because he's there and that's exactly what he's there to be and to do. Got one more point, but uh, we'll sing a song before we uh, get to that point. So we're going to sing before the throne of God above, strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. So we're going to sing this in Mark So just one more point, which has to be the point number seven, which is very appropriate because it's looking into the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, thinking about the tabernacle, it's sort of, heaven is depicted sort of like the tabernacle with an altar of incense and um, with prayers going up. But it's also said at the end of the, of, of the, the book of Revelation, uh, and, and I'm now thinking right back to the garden, what was said in the garden about God walking with his people and, and being there. Um, in the book of Revelation, there are some trees, but the big piece of architecture is what? What's the big piece of architecture in the book of Revelation? Only the boys and girls know. Architecture means things you build. Big piece of architecture in the book of Revelation? They maybe don't know. Grown-ups? A garden or a, what is it? City. Yeah, there's a, a city. And the city is cubic, cubical. Cubic or cubical. Like the, the uh, holy place. The city is huge and it's a, cu a huge cube. But it's also said that there was... It's also said there's no temple because the whole thing is the temple. The whole of creation, as God remakes it, is the place where God is. In other words, in the new world, he says, it, it isn't as though God is partly here, but you're to meet him here, because that's what used to be said about Jerusalem, isn't it? If you wanted to meet God, you'd have to go to Jerusalem to meet him. But in the, in the world to come, God will be everywhere, in everything, and the whole thing is, as it were, a temple. So there are the people... This is where we're headed. We're Christian people. This is, uh, and this is one of the wonderful things that's said in the, the last chapter. It isn't quite the last chapter, is it? Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and he will be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And brothers and sisters, that's where we're headed, to a new creation where God is everywhere. And all the aspirations and longings of the presence of God that we've been going through in this world are fulfilled. Now the dwelling of God is with people, with men. And he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more mourning, there will be no more crying, there will be no more pain. For the old order of things has gone and he makes all things new. And so we've gone through the, uh, the thought of the tabernacle, the, the tent, uh, the place of God, right from the garden, right through to the end, the city, the new creation. And I hope it's, it's been something to inspire us because I think there's some great, great themes there. Everybody wants to go home. And the Bible says, this is home. And I'll take you there. Jesus says, I'll take you there. And you'll be home forever. It's a story. And uh, when we get there, we'll be truly home. And this is the one story in the world of which you could say they all lived happily ever after. Because uh, you, you'll be aware that children's fairy stories always end up saying they all, they all lived happily ever after. And we know that actually in this world that's never quite true, is it? Um, even when uh, Elizabeth Bennet married Mr. Darcy, I don't think they all lived happily ever after. But in this story, they do live happily ever after. This is the one story of which this is true. And with that thought, I, I leave us this morning. There is a place, a throne of God, where we can come and we will be home forever. And that's the song we're going to sing to close with. There is a higher throne than all this world has known, where faithful ones from every tongue will one day come. Before the sun will stand, made faultless through the Lamb, Believing hearts find promised grace. Salvation comes. Hear heaven's voices sing. Their thunderous anthem rings. Through emerald courts and sapphire skies their praises rise. All glory, wisdom, power, strength, thanks and honour are to God our King who reigns on high forever evermore. So we'll close by singing this and um, let's just have a little think. <coughs> we... Um, Close by saying this. Could, could Jerome say a reasonably loud closing prayer from up there for us to listen to? Then we'll be seated. We'll just have a time of reflection. And then uh, we can gradually make our way out. So let's stand to sing this song. <laughs>